Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those that are on joining us on Zoom and Mixler, and I'm not sure what other streaming platform or medium uh, that we have, but uh, good morning and welcome. Over the decade, from 2007 to 2017, government restrictions on religious on religion, laws, policies, and actions by state officials that restrict religious beliefs and practices increase markedly around the world. And social hostilities involving religion, including violence and harassment by private individuals, organizations, or groups, also have risen since 2007, the year uh, the Peer Review uh, Center began tracking this issue. Indeed, the latest data shows that 52 governments, including some in very populous countries like China, Indonesia, Russia, impose either high or very high levels of restriction on religion, up from 40 in 2007. And the number of countries where people are experiencing the highest levels of social hostilities involving religion has risen from 39 to 56 over the course of the study. So with that being said, thank you, Jesus, that we live in a country where we can practice our faith free of persecution. That kind of has some merit. And I'd like to thank the uh, evangelists because I see they're on the front lines. They they are getting this word out. Um, and sometimes um, it's not safe. It's not physically safe for them to do that. So thank them for their conviction. And I'd also and I ask uh, Joe and also Dustin. I want to thank them because in their prayer, uh, they are mindful and purposefully mentioning uh, being thankful that we uh, can worship without persecution. So I, I want to thank them for those, those prayers as well. And since this is a place where we can talk about religion, because some places you can't, you know, that's that in politics. You can't talk about those things. So we're in the right place where we can talk about religion. So we're going to talk about that this morning. That's going to be our, our subject. And not just any old religion, but pure and undefiled religion. And I have a disclaimer, too, because we're going to be talking about works. And the disclaimer is, no matter what amount of works you do, your works alone will not gain you entry into the kingdom. So I just want to put that out there right up front. And Isaiah puts it this way. But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But rather, it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And John puts it this way. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So we need to be mindful of that as we talk about our pure and undefiled religion. So I just wonder, what does that look like? What characteristics? How how would we be able to identify that? 
which brings us to our primary text. And Eamon, thank you for the reading uh, this morning. And um, Jordan, thank you for the prayers. I appreciate it. So picking up in James chapter one, beginning in verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow, overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So from that, we're to listen. And I, and I think there's actually classes. I guess some of us have some problems with active listening. So there's some there's classes to help us with listening uh, as far as wrath. There's. Also, more classes, anger management classes to help us. And we have the word of God and we're to obey that. But I think it first starts with knowing the word of God. You have to know what it is that you're obeying. Continuing on in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And later on, we're going to talk about possibly some individuals who fall into this category. And hopefully it doesn't include us, but it may. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. So I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying. We need to. Look into this uh, perfect uh, law of liberty and not just look into it once, but continuously, daily. I was wondering why uh, sometimes I, I hear a familiar sermon. It's because we are to continue in it. And if we don't, we're likely to uh, forget because it, it warns us about being forgetful. And then I think almost what's worse than Forgetting is to get it twisted a little bit, to get it out of context just a little bit. And you know that those words are there, but you don't quite have it right. You either inserted a word or maybe took one out. And that changes the whole meaning. So that's why we're to continue in it so that that doesn't happen to us. And I was just wondering um, during my Christian walk, how many times have I neglected? And didn't open this book, didn't didn't read it that week. Had it open on Sunday and didn't open it again until the next Sunday. How many times has that happened? I don't think that's continuing in the perfect law. So the, we're, we're to study our word, stay in it. And also it should be evident by our speech. It says the bridle of your tongue. But I think there's a flip side to that as well. There's times when we're to speak up and to say what's right. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we continue on. Verse 27. 
Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, I looked up visit because when I when I think of visit, I think about the hospital and maybe there's a patient there and there's visiting hours and you visit or maybe uh, relatives. But through deeper study, this visit also means to look out for and to relieve their burden, to meet their needs. So it's more than just making a cameo appearance. It's investigating and finding out if there's a need and if you can meet that need. That's what we mean by visit. In my uh, research, I, I ran across a number of things. Hopefully, uh, you'll find them as interesting as I do. Uh, the, the modern world is well aware of multiple problems posed by death and or the mental or physical absence of one parent in a child's life. No matter what the particular situation, the surviving parent or child will encounter numerous challenges. The shape and scope of the problem of fatherlessness was different in antiquity in at least two ways. To begin with, the English word orphan today is used almost exclusively of a child who has lost both parents due to death. In antiquity, by contrast, children who have lost either the father or the mother are routinely regarded as orphans. So that word orphan used to mean something else. If one of the parents was missing, that person was considered an orphan. So if we were to take that model and apply that to our country, did you know that almost a quarter of U.S. children under the age of 18 live with one parent and no other adult? The actual percentage is 23%. More than three times the share of children around the world who do so. So just think about that for a moment. Twenty three percent in the U.S., but only seven percent in the rest of the world. So I think we're plagued by that. Now, on September 27th, Dustin Gaskin shared with us a lesson that included orphans and it included widows. And he labeled uh, the group that they're members of as the vulnerable. I don't know if you remember that. Um, very interesting. And we have I, I also have some of the verses that he used. But what I'd like you to uh, think about, though, as far as vulnerable, I'd like you to look at that through two different lens, one lens in the physical and then one lens. Spiritual. Is a person vulnerable physically? Are they vulnerable spiritually and or both? So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind, please. So in Isaiah, we see Isaiah chapter one and verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. We were talking about bridling your tongue and knowing when to speak up. This is an opportunity to speak up. Exodus chapter 22, beginning in verse 21. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry 
and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. I don't know if you've ever been taught too sternly before. I consider this stern, very stiff. I would put it this way. If I could uh, speak this way, uh, he ain't playing. He ain't playing. And one last one along this same line, talking about the vulnerable. And, and we saw there that Moses included the stranger because initially we just had the orphan and widow. I don't know if you picked up on that. Then the stranger uh, also was included in that in that group. Psalms chapter 146 and verse nine. The Lord watches over the stranger. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. So he is, to me, personally involved when we're talking about widows and orphans and the stranger. He's personally involved. So not only are there commands to visit, defend, plead for and relieve the orphan and widow in their trouble, but for the stranger as well or the foreigner. The Lord hears their cries, avenges their oppressor and relieves their burdens personally. So I wonder with, remember I said two lenses, that spiritual lens and physical lens. So, so far we just, I've been kind of talking to you about a physical lens. So I wonder if the Lord, because we see the concern, we see the sternness. Is he just as concerned spiritually about the vulnerable as he is the physical? Is he concerned about that other aspect? And Luke provides us. Uh, an answer to this and other questions in his letter to Theophilus. And in, we're going to pick up at verse five, pardon me, chapter five and verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. And we're talking about Jesus. It's in the title there. Jesus calls Levi. Sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up. Followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I got a lot uh, from that because to me, there's two different states. There's one knowing that you're sick. And then there's another where you don't know. So I was looking up in medical terms. There's acute and then you have chronic. Chronic can be there and you don't even know it. It's, it's been inflicting you for however long and you have no no idea or there could be symptoms. So chronic is a lot different than acute. Acute is like oh a broken leg. I mean, it's obvious. It's, it's, it's obvious that there is a problem. But with chronic, maybe not so much. So <clears throat> I just a, a number of questions just kind of came through my mind. I see a comparison that Jesus is making the sick 
and the well versus the righteous and the sinners. Now, one question I had is, do the tax collectors and the sinners know that they're sick, know that they have a spiritual need? I would argue yes. And this is why. See, because I'm thinking that the scribes and the Pharisees, we see that they're complaining right here. I don't think they uh, missed that opportunity to, hey, you're a sinner. Or I I don't think they missed that opportunity to help uh, tax collectors, publicans, sinners um, know their condition. So I think they had help. The sinners, the tax collectors, they had help in knowing that they had a spiritual uh, bankruptcy or deficit because you got the scribes and the Pharisees pointing it out to you. So I wonder on the other hand, though, flip side of the coin, the scribes and Pharisees, did they know that they had spiritual uh, bankruptcy and needs and deficits? Who, Who did they have to point out to them that, hey, you're not lining up. You're missing the boat here. So I would say they didn't know. So if they were marking a test, whether they're righteous or if they're uh, sinners, of course, they'd mark righteous. I mean, that's what I think they would do. Now, when Jesus shed light on and tried to help them see their deficit, that's when the pushback like, hey, and I was just thinking, how long had they been in that position thinking that they are the righteous, that they got all their T's crossed, I's dotted, and here comes this person trying to put them in their place. Who, who does he think he is? And I was wondering if, because we're talking about a physician, if I had to put a diagnosis, if I had to label the sickness, one name that might fit is the holier-than-thou affliction or condition. So m- maybe that's what they suffered from. And then I was wondering, is it possible in our Christian walk for us to suffer from that holier than thou? See, because what could contribute to that is, hey, I'm at church every time the door opens. I'm I'm involved in every program. Those works alone. Apart from the right motive. Those two things have to be combined. And that's what my disclaimer was about. It's not about the works alone. It's through Jesus. It's those works through Jesus, through the belief. And since we're talking in medical terms, I think Paul probably has a a prescription uh, for us. If we did suffer from that holier than thou uh, affliction or condition in Second Corinthians, chapter 13 and verse five. Paul says to examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So I think that might have been some medicine that may have served the scribes and the Pharisees well. If they had taken two of those in the morning. I think things may have gone a different way. And in some ways, I almost feel sorry for the scribes and the Pharisees because. Generally, if you have a coach or a mentor, that kind of helps guide you and prevent you from making mistakes. Well, The tax collectors and sinners, they had the scribes and the Pharisees as acting as a coach or a mentor. But who was there for the scribes and the Pharisees to help them align themselves? 
Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Here we're talking about uh, forgiveness. And how I got there is sometimes forgiveness is the prescription that is given to heal whatever that problem was. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman was in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. A few questions came to mind as I read that. One, why was she crying? Why was she crying? A thought I had was, is it possible that she was aware of her spiritual need and condition? So if I flip that over, because the Pharisee is here, too, I wonder, was the Pharisee aware of his spiritual need and condition? Continuing in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet. He would know who and what manner of woman this is was touching him for she is a sinner. I have a question for you. Has the Pharisee passed judgment on the one? I thought it was God who sits in God's seat, but. There's times when other people want to sit in that seat. And then also, I wonder how many times have we done that? We've went ahead and marked a person like, oh, no, I'm not even going to waste resources or time on that. That person's not worthy of, of, of my effort or energy. So I think that Pharisee is, it has, has company uh, as far as writing folks off. I'm thankful that we serve a God who doesn't do that. Continuing on in verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Now, what I got from this was this implies that the Pharisees initial judgment was incorrect. See, because he's saying that it's correct now. So I'm thinking before it was incorrect. And maybe he jumped the gun. I don't know if you've heard that phrase or maybe prejudged uh, this woman. So Jesus helps him to uh, see things a little bit different. Continuing on in verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I thought that was interesting right there. So I'm, I'm thinking, so he couldn't even see her. I mean, he just saw, he saw what he wanted to see. So Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears 
and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So is it possible that those forgiven or healed of an acute sin condition are more grateful? Those with the bigger problems, are, are they more grateful than those who say, well, maybe, you know, I had a little stumble here. You know, I'm, I'm self-righteous. I'm, I can kind of see how the Pharisees and the scribes could kind of fall into that category. But regardless of if you have a chronic or an acute sin problem, I think uh, Paul reminds us all of something in Romans chapter three and verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have some type of sin condition that we're in need of Jesus Christ to heal us. Continuing on in verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think uh, this is probably not the first time that Jesus's authority was questioned. Because remember, we have these folks that are sitting in this high position. And who is this person to check me? Who does he think he is? Now, been kind of beating up on the scribes and Pharisees. And I apologize for that. They did what they did. I've done what I've done. Um, and I was just wondering with this acute and chronic seal, uh, sin condition and affliction, are there... Anybody, is there anybody that's immune to it? And if I had to pick a group, I would say the disciples who are closest to Jesus or the panacea or the cure. If I had to pick somebody that's immune to it, that's who I would pick. But I would be wrong. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 31, we see that Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. That he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know. me." I wonder how Peter was feeling at that at that moment. See, because initially I'm thinking in terms of spiritual health, he's saying, hey, I'm not sick. I, I'm I'm in the I'm in this group. I'm in the righteous group. And the Lord is letting them know, yes, you. You do have you do have a few things to work out. So I, I imagine he was probably puzzled. And I wonder 
because uh, Jesus was using prescription, uh, physician, that terminology. I wonder, does he leave Peter in this state since he told him that, hey, you kind of have some got some issues going on. Did he leave in there? We find our answer in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The point I'd like to make there is this pure and undefiled religion that we have is not just theory. It's not just belief. It requires action. It requires us to act on what we believe. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. Now, works by itself is not going to get it done either. That's that's dead also. So it takes it takes both. And we see here that uh, I think Peter's getting the point. It says he was grieved. I think um, that was like a paradigm shift, if you will. See, because initially he was thinking, hey, I'm ready to I'm ready to conquer the world. With I'm ready. to. No, you're not, you're, you will be. You're not right now. You will be healed. Not right now. So was James right about pure and undefiled religion? Is it a mere belief in Jesus Christ or is it something more than that? I would submit to you, James chapter two and verse 19, it says there you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. What that says to me is belief alone is not going to get it. It's not going to get it. It requires me feeding the sheep. I have to take some type of action. I have to act on what I believe. So. Have you acted? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been unfaithful in your relationship with Christ and your Christian walk? Do you have some other need or desire or desire the prayers of the church body. If you fall into any of those categories, you're at the right place. And we'd like to help you with meet any of those needs. If you're here in the sanctuary, we'd like you to come forward. If you're on Zoom, Mixler, I don't know what other media stream, please reach out to the uh, elders of our church. And at this time, would you make your condition known as we stand and sing? the song of invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.